older cow, a diagnosis of lymphosarcoma, a confirmation of bovine leukosis virus. What's next and what does that mean for this herd? That's what we'll talk about today on Bovine Science with BCI. And on our herd health episode, I'm happy to have Dr. Bob Larson with me. Morning, Bob. Good morning. This is a scenario that you and I have heard about quite frequently. And we hear about leukosis. The great thing is you've taken some of those questions. You work with Dr. Hoosier here at the veterinary school, and you guys did a great series of research projects over the last year focused on beef cow-calf herds. Most of the leukosis research is on the dairy side. Yeah, exactly. So a couple of things that, that make this disease kind of step out, stand out is that there aren't a lot of things that will cause an adult cow to die. And uh, bovine leukosis is one of those. And so when we have an adult cow uh, that, that uh, dies, it, it's pretty high on our rule out list and, and it's relatively easy to diagnose, um, e- either through you know an, a necropsy and identifying some of the lesions. And so, but the other aspect that we also know about this disease is that it's really, really common. So many cows in the United States are leukosis positive and the actual death due to that disease is relatively rare. So yes, it's one of the main reasons that an adult cow will end up dead, but not very many adult cows die from this disease. And so one of the questions become, what is the economic burden of this disease and and what are some appropriate ways to control for it? Okay, so let's go back to, you said a, a lot of them are positive. And one of your, and we'll post links to both these research articles were just published within the last six months on the American Journal of Veterinary Research. So the first one that you guys did was on the prevalence of leukosis. And you used some different tests. So I, I'm going to ask you first about the, the tests that you used. And then what you found in prevalence, because you were focused on these Kansas beef cow calf herds. So you used uh, ELISA to determine prevalence. Is that the best test? Can I use that if I'm looking to find it? Is there something else I should think about? So the ELISA test is testing for antibodies in the blood uh, to this antigen, bovine leukosis virus. And because we believe that this is a a permanent uh, infection, so what we think is happening is the bovine leukosis virus actually integrates itself into the, the cellular DNA of the white blood cells of cattle. So persistent infection. So that if you have an animal that is antibody positive, we pretty much assume that that animal is currently infected, even if they're not showing any signs. And so it's a pretty good test to identify that status. What is not as good a test of doing is predicting, is it going to be one of those few animals that actually succumbs and dies due to this disease, or is it going to be like most of the animals that are infected that basically finish out their life and never really show any signs? Uh, and it's not good at differentiating that question. Because we're just saying it's the virus, and, and once you have the virus, this one's not going away. Yeah, it's a permanent infection as far as we know. As far as we know. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So let's let's talk a little bit about the, the population that we're looking at. So Dr. Hoosier really led the data collection, led setting up some of this trial stuff, and, and he was working with some of our herds, northeast Kansas, beef cow-calf herds. How many herds? How many cows? How did you pick which ones to be enrolled? Yeah. So we ended up with uh, 43, 44 herds. And covering uh, you know, a number of counties, it wasn't just the county here where Kansas State University is located, but uh, we have a number of counties uh, throughout central and eastern Kansas. 
And um, so we ended up with basically 2,800 cows, I'm rounding it a little bit, but 2,800 cows in 43 herds. And uh, what we found there was 41 out of those 43 herds had at least one cow that was BLV positive. So we had two herds where we had no BLV positive cows, but 41 herds where we did. Wow. So if if I'm guessing, if I look at a cow driving down the highway, she's in a positive herd. She's in a positive herd. (laughs) And then we we did notice an age distribution in that um, the, the least likely to be BLV positive were our replacement heifers. But once a cow in our study reached about four years of age, three-fourths or more of them, so 75 to 80% of cows greater than four years of age were BLV positive in this herd. And that includes, you know, some herds where there were no cows that were positive and some herds where essentially every cow was positive, you know, like 95% of the cows were positive. So was it an even distribution across that range? So you said that includes you've got between zero and 100 are they are they clustered in any area? What's the what's the we distribution did, of we herds? We did not find like? a geographic distribution, but again, this was a geographic distribution within Kansas. Um, Dr. Huser did look at things like fence line contact with other herds and things like that, but we just didn't have enough variability to really investigate, you know, kind of contact with other herds. Uh, but we saw a pretty even distribution. Uh, it, it couldn't pick up a geography reason. Okay, so. Help me remember a little bit from vet school. How, how are they, what are the mechanisms that they're getting infected? Okay. So this is a, a blood transfer um, because it, it is the blood cells, the white blood cells that are infected and are pan, uh, passing the organism. And so anything that can move blood. Um, and again, there's some things we don't know about this. We're assuming our, our blood meal insects uh, are involved. We think that humans are involved with, you know, sharing of needles and tattoo pliers and things like that, just the bloodborne possibility there. <coughs> and the potential for uh, white blood cells to come through colostrum and, and those. So, so any way we can get white blood cells from one animal to another uh, are, are possible ways to move this disease from one Okay, animal. so that's what I want to go back to is, so that's what I thought I remembered, that there was a way to either congenitally or soon after birth get this transferred from dam to heifer. Let's say I'm raising my heifers. Right. That doesn't align with your data because your, da- your data says that you're not seeing them positive when they're yeah. young. So we think most of it is happening a little bit later in life. You know, so a blood a blood-sucking insect or something like that is moving it from one animal to the next is more common, although it is possible to happen early in life. Okay. So tell me tell me a little bit more about the age, because you said heifers were least likely, and then as you got to a certain age, they were more likely. Is it a kind of a stair step up, and does it level off at any yeah. point, or is it just the older they are, the more likely they are? In, in our study, basically, it, it rose um, basically from... A pretty low level as heifers steadily up to about this 75 to 80 percent by the time they're four years of age and then it plateaued after that so whether they're four or seven or ten about 75 to 80 percent of the cows were positive so rises rapidly from from heifer to four years of age and then plateaus after that time so back to our case that we started with if i have an older cow and she has signs of lymphosarcoma it's likely that the virus is there. 
if I have an older cow and she dies and she doesn't have any signs of lymphosarcoma, it's likely the virus is there. Yeah. We would say there's about an 80% probability that the virus is there and it might have nothing to do with her death. With her mortality. Yeah, I think that's an important point is that the I didn't realize the prevalence was that high. And you did make a note. There's some differences in within herd prevalence, mm-hmm. but in most herds and these older cows, you see a higher rate. Yeah, it, basically, we saw that two-thirds of the herds had 50% or more of the cows infected. So, again, so another way to say it is not If all, it's in the herd. If it's in the herd, there's about—so there's only a third of the herds where less than 50% of the cows were infected. Yeah. If it's in the herd, it's it's likely in most of the cows, which would make sense with a disease that is communicable— and it's going to be spread bloodborne, as and, you And mentioned. it's permanent. So, I mean, you, you never have They never to. get better. Right. Yeah. So, uh, speaking of which, it's permanent, but there may be some differences in the amount of virus that these cows shed. And you guys looked at proviral load. Right. You're going to have to tell me, A, what is proviral load, and B, what did you learn? Yeah. And that one of the reasons that we wanted to look into this is... Um, the ELISA test, the antibody test, does tell us if the cow is infected, but it doesn't give us information about um, her likelihood to be shedding and her likelihood to, uh, to, to really show up with the clinical signs of this disease. And, and again, you, you're right. Most of the research work has been done in dairy cows. And some of the things we've looked at there is there, there's some evidence that cows that have a higher viral load um, are more likely to progress to disease and probably although we haven't proven it for certain, more likely to transmit the virus. It just makes sense that a, a cow with a high viral load, and, and I think you could, we could think of it as just the viral load. The reality is uh, the virus might be gone, but the snippet of the virus is actually integrated into the DNA of the cow's white blood cells. And so a proviral load of one would be one copy of viral DNA for every copy of um, white blood cell DNA, all right? So that would be a one-to-one. So every white blood cell has, and the reality is you can actually have a a number bigger than one. So you could have a couple of copies of this little tiny short viral DNA embedded in the white blood cell DNA, or it could be less, meaning that not all cells have this viral DNA in it. So we used a cutoff of 0.9. So almost one copy of viral DNA per um, host cell DNA. And we use that as our, co- uh, our cutoff. Greater than that was considered a high proviral load, and less than that was considered a, a low proviral load. And, and one of the questions we wanted to know was, we were really looking at the effect of this virus on reproductive efficiency, the likelihood of getting pregnant during a breeding season, and the likelihood of... Uh, getting pregnant in the first 21 days. It wasn't a long enough study to look out at risk of death over the next 10 years or anything like that. So it was it was a short enough study. We looked at the r- likelihood of getting pregnant in that breeding season. I'd like to know the answer to the likelihood of surviving 10 years and those types of things, but we haven't looked at that yet. So before we go to repro, I want to ask you some more questions about the proviral load. Is leukosis like something like Yoni's? 
we're yonis, we think that we may have cattle that shed the regular amount, and then there may potentially be super shedders. Or maybe yonis isn't the best example, maybe yeah. something like E. coli, where, yeah. where we, and it makes sense with some of our infectious diseases with long-term infections, that some cattle shed a moderate amount, and, and there's a few that shed a lot. Can you, can, is leukosis like that, or is your cut point just kind of in the middle of the population? No, that, that, that is the theory that we're working under. And one of the things we found is um, of the – so we said earlier that – maybe I didn't say – basically 77% of the cows four years of age and older were BLV positive, and that is 55% of all the cows. So we had uh, over 2,000, almost 3,000 cows in this study, and about 55% of the overall group was BLV positive by ELISA. Of those cows – about 54% were PCR positive, meaning that almost half, we detected antibodies, but we did not detect the virus. Why would that be? Well, I think it's because uh, they're, they're, they're in those white blood cells, but they're but not at a high level. Not at a high enough level to pick up by PCR. Yep, exactly. And okay. so at some level, yeah, we're not detecting them. And that kind of fits into what you were saying. Maybe an animal that is ELISA positive but PCR negative, maybe that cow is not very likely to transmit it. That's a good hypothesis. Again, we have not settled on whether that's true or not, but it's a good hypothesis. And then the other question was, well, then of the ones that are PCR positive, how many of them are greater than 0.9 proviral particles per, per cell? And that answer is 33% of the PCR positive cows have a high proviral load. So about two-thirds have a low proviral load, and about a third have a high proviral load, which is about 24% of the ELISA-positive cows and about 10% of all the cows in our... So about 10% of the cows in our study had a high proviral load, which was 24% of the ELISA-positive and about 33% of the PCR-positive cows had this high proviral load. So if they were positive on ELISA, about a quarter of them had this high load. Yeah, exactly. That's a good and way so, to look at so it. So there could be some shedders that are shedding more quantity, but I'll go back to some of the transmission. And was that associated with age, the proviral load? Uh, in the exact same way as the ELISA was. So um, we, we, we didn't see a different pattern there. And, and one of the reasons that this comes up is that other countries, particularly some of the European countries, have set up eradication programs for this disease using ELISA. So basically any antibody-positive cow would be um, would sold to slaughter euthanized right, and t- removed from the population. And they've used that to basically eradicate this disease from certain countries. Well, the problem in the United States is if truly 55% of our cows and 75 or so percent of our four-year-olds and older are positive, we do not want to um, euthanize all of those cows or send to slaughter all of those cows that are ELISA or antibody positive. The question becomes, well, if it is true that these high proviral load cows are truly the ones that are the biggest risk for shedding, Maybe we could institute a testing and culling strategy based on a not the ELISA test, but some cutoff 
that we're going to call high-profile load and might be and again, that's there's too many mites to make. There's policy. a lot of ifs and. Oh this. yeah, we are not ready to make policy at this point at all. But it, but even if you got rid of the a high pro viral load, that'd be like me saying I'm going to get rid of the worst offenders, but then mm-hmm. I still have transmission in the herd. Well, we don't know that to be honest. Um, but that would that would likely I would. They still have virus. Yeah, they so, just don't have as much. Well, so what we're really getting to, and and this is we're kind of coming around to this conversation of. We know this disease can kill cows, right? We know that it can, but not very often. What would it cost to control this disease? And the, the quick answer is a test and cull strategy based on the ELISA test would cost way more than the disease. So we're not going to go there. If the disease's main impact is that rare cow mortality. However, the second part of your study was you guys looked at Reproduction. So right. the study was not long enough to evaluate whether there were increased transmission, whether those herds were continuing to expand their infected population, or cow mortality. Right. However, when you went through the process, you looked retrospectively. These samples were all taken at pregnancy test, and you could associate with pregnancy rate or not while controlling for some of those other factors like herd to herd variation, yep. age, all those sorts of sorts of things. What did you find in that section of the study? This is something that's interesting that I think veterinarians need to understand. Um, in this study, we found absolutely no relationship between whether they were BLV positive or not and whether they got pregnant or not. And that was whether it was ELISA or just PCR positive, or high proviral load. So no, no matter how we classified that cow as being positive, she was ELISA positive, or she was PCR positive, or she was high proviral load positive, that cow was not any more or less likely to become pregnant, either over the entire breeding season. And again, you know that I like to look at the percentage of cows that become pregnant in the first 21 days. It didn't affect the percentage of the cows um, that became pregnant in the first 21 days. And, and a lot of times when we say this, you know, we talk about statistical significance and those kinds of things. The numerical pregnancy percentages were almost identical across. In fact, the only statistical significant result we found was that the antibody positive cows were slightly more likely to be pregnant than the antibody negative. But when I look at all of the answers, I go, there, there's no impact. The, the numbers are almost on top of each other. Could, could I view those three tests that you did, and you've talked about them a couple times, LISA, PCR, and proviral load, high proviral load. Could I view those as incremental in terms of specificity? So, so could I make the argument that the high proviral load is the pretty darn specific? Yeah, I, I think you could. Maybe less sensitive to finding all the ones that are infected, but pretty specific. And, and in which case, if there's no associations with pregnancy rate with high proviral load or maybe even PCR. Then there sure isn't going to be with Then there's probably not going to be with ELISA. ELISA. Yeah. Is, it, is, is that no, a fair statement? You're, you are thinking correctly. Because we could have seen a situation where we didn't see an effect on ELISA, but we did on high proviral load. And if that had happened, my interpretation would be, well, cows that have a high viral load, it does affect their fertility. But if they have a low viral load, it doesn't. But that's not what we found. We found basically the same answer regardless of how we classified these cows. And so no association with fertility. What, 
how do I use that information with my clients? What would I do if somebody if somebody is concerned? Because it sounds like a lot of herds, if I do any testing, I'm going to find BLV. Yeah. So how do I take that information back to my clients? I think it, it goes back to, a, a, and this, these are harder conversations. The conversation is we know the disease has an economic cost, and it is, is cows that die earlier than they would have uh, because of this disease. We also know that control of this disease has a cost, and a test and cull strategy um, could be quite expensive. And so we, we have to figure out what's the best return. Where, where do we allocate our money to give the herd the best overall health? And based on this study, BLV doesn't appear. We have no evidence that BLV is a major contributor to fertility issues. And, and there's more work that needs to be done. We need to you know, repeat the study, and I'd love to do it longitudinally over time. Um, but so far, we're not finding a smoking gun that, that, this, that this disease is really impacting fertility. It might affect calf health. It might affect some other things that we need to look at, um, which basically tempers how much resources, how many resources I'm going to use to eradicate this disease. I may want to um, think about, well, where do we start? We had two herds that were BLV negative. There might be some value in kind of some screening to make sure that they, they're more likely to stay BLV negative. If we're at 70, 80% of the herd being positive, I'm, I'm probably not going to use a a test and cull strategy. I'm not going to use a test and cull strategy. I would hope not. That's yeah. a, that's a now you're thinking like depopulation, repopulation. Yeah, yeah. And 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 who would you repopulate with when most of the cows, more than fifty percent of the cows, are, are positive? Well, that's it. You you didn't find any geographic associations, but and, and tell me if I'm going too far out on a limb here. You you told me older cows pretty likely to be positive. Once they get above that five six years yeah, of age, pretty they're pretty likely to be positive, which makes me think that it's probably not that colostrum where they're getting it, unless it takes six years to appear. which yeah. we don't think it does. We don't think so. Which means they're getting it probably from In either environment or atrogenic yep. with us giving them injections. Which means if I get rid of positives, they're going to be back tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. It's it's so common. It is so common that uh, talks about eradication are probably not very logical. So what's next? What's the next research? If you could pick the next research project you would do in this area, what would it be? Well, Dr. Huser is actually moving forward with this, and we're looking at ca- and he's looking at calf health. So we're looking at calves at weaning. So these, so these now we know which cows became pregnant. Well, how did they calve out? Did what percentage of their calves made it to weaning? And those types of questions. So basically. What makes this study kind of neat is the potential to make it more longitudinal and look at this, these same herds over time and gain a little bit more information. So I'm going to pin you down and ask you a question on the, on the spot here. Let's say I've got a herd, and I'm thinking they're 70% positive. You just told me I can transfer this by bloodborne transmission, uh, needles, sleeves, any other instruments that I use. Would you move to a one-needle-per-cow policy, or would you live with the status quo? I told you I was going to put you on the spot. That really does put me on the spot because there's, there, I'll answer it two ways. That's the one thing. <laughs> You'll answer both yes and no. Yeah, I would. Yeah, that's a way to win. That is the one thing I can do because I can't stop blood-transferring blood insects. I can't do that. The only thing I can do is manage my behavior. Our study— 
didn't really dive into that, but some other studies on the dairy side, what we're doing as humans may not be as big a deal. I mean, it's the one thing I can do. So that's the reason I would recommend it. But I'm not sure it would actually change the impact of this disease. And again, it goes back to it's already very present. There's already lots of insects. I can't stop insects at the fence line. Um, I, I think by doing one small thing, we may not really be doing and, much. And insects with this case, I mean, we talk about flies a lot, but with a lot of our bloodborne diseases, we're really concerned about ticks. Because yeah. I actually have some things I can do to manage flies. Ticks much less so. Yeah. Yeah. Is, that, is ticks more so than flies in this, or do you know? We honestly don't know. Yeah. So, so excellent. This is really cool research. I like the applied portion focusing on beef, cow, calf herds. And kind of my take-homes, if I'm wrapping up from, from what you've said, is prevalence, herd prevalence is high. Most yes. of the herds you tested were positive. Within herd prevalence was also relatively high. If it was a positive herd, it was relatively high within the herd, especially in those cows aged over five years of age, kind of levels off at that point. Second thing that you found in your second paper, and we'll post links to both these, but the the link to reproduction and reproductive efficiency between being positive by whatever method you tested and a negative outcome or positive really wasn't there. You didn't yeah. see a link between leukosis status and being positive. We so found more, no smoking guns. No smoking guns. Some more research to follow. Thanks for sharing with us. This is great research. Congrats to you and your team. You bet.